Coming up on today's episode of The Audible, we talk some LSU, some Oklahoma, best football, basketball coaching combos, and much, much more. Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. Last week, he was home and I was on the road. This week, we have changed places. Yes. Sorry it's taken me so long to get back to you, Stu, but I'm in Baton Rouge. It's been a uh, busy couple of days. I leave here tomorrow to go to Lincoln, Nebraska. We already have a writer, Stu, so maybe I shouldn't have gone, but hopefully I'm going to catch up with our new Nebraska writer Mitch Sherman and I have some story to, to work on and uh, but I feel like I've been as you know when you go on the road you basically don't have much time to go on Twitter or on search the internet so you kind of feel a little bit like you're cut off from the other side of the world but it's great <laughs> it's, it is great you know last week being on the go four different schools yeah you're just not it's it's you just feel more alive than when you're sitting at, at in front of a computer for eight hours and can't get off Twitter. Because at the end of the day, if anything's like that big, big of news, it, it's, you're going to get alerted to it in some way. And then you find out that all you're really missing by not being glued to Twitter is all the other kind of waste of time stuff. Yes, it's a waste of energy. So it's good to be back on with you and good to be back connected to our audience. What are we talking about today, Stu? Well, last week I gave some observations and anecdotes from where I visited. So tell us about LSU. Before we do, though, I, one thing is I, you went to Oklahoma, and I think that part of the trip didn't happen. Uh, I don't think you had gotten there yet when we taped the podcast. So you want to share some details from your visit to Norman? Yeah, that was my last stop. You'll probably see a lot of Jalen Hurts stories in the next few weeks. Mine will not be one of them because the one day of the spring that he was available was the day before I got there. Uh, it was interesting. Did you see that press conference he gave? I saw a little of the video of it. I can't say I watched the whole thing, but I saw a little bit of it. And it's not surprising that he came across as extremely polished and thoughtful. Cause I well, think he, he gave that's a, what he is. He gave a two-minute opening statement like a coach does. You don't really often see a player come in and give an opening statement and then take questions. But he did, and it was kind of eerie. It looked like Nick Saban. It looked and sounded like Nick Saban. I'm going to disagree with you on that. Okay. I don't think it really looked and sounded like Nick Saban because I feel like when Nick Saban talks to the media, sometimes, especially when he's doing it at a podium, there's a part of it where it feels like he's scolding the media or he's using it to kind of frame where he's going. I didn't really feel like so much Jalen Hurts was doing that, except he was kind of basically given an introduction of here's who I am, here's what I'm about. I remember hearing him speak to the Elite 11 Quarter, high school quarterbacks over the summer and he had mentioned that he was studying crisis communications and public relations and so I think you know in addition to being a coach's kid and all of his experience and in, in being a leader of that program I think you see some of some of that education coming out in him as that was my perspective I just didn't I get when you know people think of the process and that they see Nick Saban but I didn't quite see it that way and that's not a knock on Nick Saban I just feel like Jalen Hurts was just coming across as a very polished and and thoughtful public speaker in his presentation to clarify or to be maybe put it this way there are two different Nick Saban press conferences. There's the ones he gives to the media in Tuscaloosa where he has a scolding look on his face, arms crossed, 
just ready for it to be over. And I'm by no means comparing him to that, Jalen Hurts. There's Nick Saban at national championship games and SEC media days where he's on his best behavior and is uh, very articulate and talks a lot about the process. This, that's what this reminded me of, where he, like you said, he's extremely well-spoken, he's a great leader, and he just kind of laid out, here, I'll give you one quote just, just as an example. I'm a firm believer in that if we continue to practice the same habits and do the same things, nine times out of 10, you'll get the same results. So I think as an organization, we want more. We want to achieve more. Tell me that doesn't sound like something Nick Saban would say. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, it does. It does. But again, I, I think those are, he's taken some of the best things of the people he's been around and, and that's part of who he is. And I think that's a good thing for Oklahoma football to get that. So I focused a little bit more on other areas when I was there. Talked to Dennis Simmons, their receivers coach. They've got not one, not two, but three five-star freshman receivers who all enrolled early, which is, it's kind of scary because as Lincoln, you know, they've had this great run of receivers from D.D. Westbrook and Marquise Brown and many more before that. And none of those guys came in with as much recruiting hype as these three guys. So it's like, I know they don't always live up to the hype. I know that that's not scientific. But, you know, what are these guys, what are, what are they going to be capable of doing in that offense? It's kind of scary to think about. And then, of course, everybody wants to know about Alex Grinch, the new defensive coordinator. You know, what I asked Lincoln Riley was to be a little bit of a devil's advocate. Obviously, they need to get better on defense. They're not going to win a national championship playing defense the way they did in the last few years under Mike Stoops. But how realistic is it for a team that runs an air raid offense to field a top-notch defense because traditionally whether you're thinking of Texas Tech uh, whether you're thinking of like most of the Big 12 or Cal and Sunny Dyke I mean most of these teams don't play good defense and uh, as you would expect he said I think we absolutely can field a top 20 defense here nationally he pointed out do you remember much about the 2015 Oklahoma defense with Eric Stryker Charles Tapper who else would was, on that team? was 2015 the year they lost to Clemson in the in the Orange Bowl or Correct. That 2016? That was, was 20, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. He just kept talking about how great that defense was, and that there's no reason why they can't get back to that. So I looked it up, and sure enough, they had a top 25 national defense that year. I do remember calling Mike Stoops the day after they played Baylor that year. This was Art Bryles Baylor, and they had just completely shut down Corey Coleman, and really I think the only team to do that that year. So. It's not unattainable to have a great defense at Oklahoma. And when I say great, I mean top 25, right? I mean, even, even he would concede that in that conference against those offenses, you're not going to you know, give up 19 points per game. But if you, you know, most weeks, that offense is going to score 35 or 40 or more, Oklahoma's offense. So you just need to play even average defense and big things could happen. Well, he did a good job at Washington State with much less players. I mean, mm-hmm. they didn't have much NFL talent. And I know from talking to guys in the conference, and we've talked about this on our podcast, he was the toughest to prepare for because he was so unpredictable. And we'll see. I mean, there's nowhere, almost almost nowhere to go but up but how they were all of last year. So. Lincoln said, and I think you'd agree, having followed that program, Washington State, that when he went back and watched the tape, the guys from you from i think grinch was there three seasons right so the players on the tape from year one to year three got dramatically better that that's the great you know that's a pretty good sign of good coaching they got obviously you expect guys to get better as their careers go on but i mean this was really noticeable 
Yeah, and I, I, as I, I stick stick by this, of all, Mike Leach has a big coaching tree of guys, including Lincoln Riley. His most shrewd hire that he's ever made was going to take Alex Grinch, who was the safeties coach at, at Mizzou, and give, making him his DC because they were horrific before he got there, and he made them very formidable. So okay, so, so. at this point, people who have listened to last week's and this week's are going. Are you guys ever going to talk about teams outside of the Texas? Oklahoma part of the country. Yes, we're going to inch a little bit, just a little <laughs> bit east. Uh, I'm in Baton Rouge. I've spent quite a bit of time now with LSU. I've seen them practice and seen a lot of film of, from their coaches watching them practice. So I feel like I have a decent handle on on this. The big addition, similar to Alex Grinch, is here is the pass game coordinator who Ed Ogeron hired from, from the New Orleans Saints, Joe Brady. You're going to be hearing a lot about him, I predict. He is, uh, he is 29 years old, but he has two mentors who I think have been, you know, it's funny. Like one of his mentors is the reason why sometimes I know I know how to use the word serendipitous. That's Joe Moorhead. He worked for Joe Moorhead at Penn State, and then he got to the Saints, and he worked for Sean Payton. And you don't get much better I'm not sure you get any better than those two offensive guys, especially for what they want to do. And this offense will look much different because if you watch it now, and I've seen it, it's very different from what people are used to seeing from LSU. We've heard that before, though. Have we, though? I mean, we heard, it looked different when Matt Canada was there, but it was motions and shifts. And that looked like what Matt Canada did. I mean, it was different. It just didn't work that well. Right. In this regard, what's going to be interesting is here's is – they have, I think they have a very talented group of receivers. They were young last year. We've seen Justin Jefferson. He's one of the better receivers in the SEC. I think a guy you're going to see as a breakout player this year will be Jamar Chase. He was a big, you know, highly rated freshman. He had a pretty good season last year. He's a very physical receiver. I think he's going to be a big weapon for them. The other one is Joe Burrow finishes the year pretty strong in the last month of the season. And I think he's a pretty good fit. He's smart. He's tough. He's a coach's kid. And he's accurate, and I think that he's going to be a good trigger man for them. I mean, looking at them, now they do not have – they're down a couple of starters who are sitting out the spring on injury in the, the defensive line, but and they're going to have to replace Devin White. But their secondary looks really, really good, and they got a lot of players. I mean, they, they definitely have a lot of athletes on the defense. I think this will be a, a certainly a top-10 team, if not more than that. I think that Joe Burrow last season – maybe got a little bit it's weird because he there was so much attention being placed on him coming into the season because LSU was so desperate for a a quarterback savior for some time and then they went out and they had a pretty good season but he just kind of we didn't hear much about him again but at the end of the day I do think he had a a very positive impact on that team and now he's going to be with a year's more experience yeah I mean if you look at what he did over the last month of the season i think he had let me look at this now i got it in front of me 11 touchdowns one int plus he ran for three more touchdowns i mean they didn't there was a stretch where they weren't running him much at all because their backup quarterback who was the only other scholarship kid they had at quarterback was kind of banged up and they were not sure if they wanted to you know risk putting miles brennan in the game when he wasn't healthy or wasn't close to healthy they really didn't have a number two well then they did run him later in the year and he was pretty effective. Now, UCF had a bad defense, but he torched them. I think, again, and part of this, I think, is the young group of receivers kind of 
starting to mature because they didn't have much. Remember, they they basically rode Darius Geist the year before, but they didn't have much else around him. So, again, I'm not saying this is going to be an offense that's going to average 45 points a game in the SEC, but it's I think it's going to be very interesting. Like I said, I would I would keep an eye on Joe Brady. I think he's his stock's going to go. You know, again, it's it's spring practice. You can only tell so much. But I do think he has a chance to be kind of a, a key coaching hire in the offseason. I think is a little bit lost in the in the weeds because because quite honestly, people don't know what he looks like. I mean, he was a Saints assistant. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't like even Alex Grinch, who was a coordinator someplace. I mean, he's never called plays in a game. But you know, again, and Steve Ensminger still the offensive coordinator. But this guy is going to have a big impact on it from from everything I've seen from here. Okay, back to the podcast in a second. Stu, I know you're as much of an outdoorsman as there gets. When you're outside, in the outdoors, doing your thing with nature, you want to be comfortable, right? And we have a great sponsor that has debuted with us that sent us some product, and it is Free Fly. And when I talk to them, it's a brother and sister combination who came up with the company. The brother was a Montana fishing guide, and his sister was a Nike designer. And it was really cool to hear their their startup story. And they talked a lot about just how comfortable you'll be. And I got to admit, when I got the shorts, it was as advertised. I mean, these are about as comfortable a fabric as I've tried on. And so here's the deal. Free Fly is designed for outdoors men and outdoors women. And it is a butter soft bamboo comfort design from top to bottom. And when I heard that, I was like, really, what is this going to feel like? And it does feel very, very comfortable. It's just the fabric just kind of moves and goes with you. And it is as comfortable as shorts as I've worn. And so you can also get shirts as well. It's a lot of very breathable, comfortable fabric. And you won't be disappointed. It seems like they're also very versatile. You can use the, you can use it for setting sail, for casting flies, or just having a good time on the beach, or just hanging out on the neighborhood docks. Yeah, it's just not, I mean, it's actually just good for even just lounging around the house. I know you're not much on just sitting around the couch and watching TV, but if you were that guy, Stu, these would be the clothes you'd want to just hang out in. Okay, so here's the deal. It's time you stop being uncomfortable and try it out Free Fly's bamboo clothing. Mother's and Father's Day is right around the corner, so you can gear up for mom and dad. Here's what our listeners should do. You get 20% off when you visit freeflyapparel.com and use promo code AUDIBLE. That's freeflyapparel.com, promo code AUDIBLE. I'll be interested to hear about Nebraska because you're going there at a pretty interesting time just for the, for the school. They just announced Fred Hoiberg. We're recording this on Wednesday night. They just announced Fred Hoiberg as their coach Wednesday morning, which led to an interesting mailbag question for me, which was rank the top football-basketball coaching combos of any school out there. And I said, it's a little premature to be saying that about Scott Frost at Nebraska. This used to be what I felt like a fairly easy question when you had Tom Izzo and Mark D'Antonio. Um, well, I still right. had them number one. Would you, uh, you know, I know D'Antonio didn't have the greatest two out of the last three seasons, but he still won a lot of games there. Tom Izzo's back in the final four. Do you agree, disagree? And, and adding to this is the fact that another school had just hired a new basketball coach. I had number two. Is that Texas A&M? That would be Texas A&M with the Jimbo Fisher-Buzz Williams combo, which gives Scott Woodward, the AD, there a lot of credit. And I know they're throwing money around like crazy. But think about 
I mean, he's had in the history three, of that program really to three, have that combo. Well, give, give Scott Woodward this. He has had three fantastic last major coaching hires. Now, if he's if he's hired, you know, some other sports at, at A&M, I apologize if I missed. But in terms of these two hires, plus he was the one who got Washington Chris Peterson. And that was a fantastic upgrade. So Absolutely. That helps to have a ton of money, and they have a ton of money. But I think if I was an Aggie fan, I'd be pretty fired up right now. So I'll just give you my top five, and you can tell me if you agree, disagree. It was Michigan State 1, A&M 2, Michigan 3 with... Ooh, look at you, coming coming back for a little love from Jim Harbaugh <laughs> after, after shutting the door in his face. Well, it's Harbaugh and John Beeline who... Now, granted, this conversation requires some knowledge of college basketball coaches, but you watch the NCAA tournament, right? I mean, yeah. you're, you're as qualified as anybody to talk about this. I don't know if I'm as qualified as anybody, but I'm as qualified as anybody in this hotel room, so let's carry on. Pat Forty would be excellent to talk about this. He covers yes, he both would. sports quite closely. Number four, Notre Dame. Granted, Mike Bray finished last in the ACC really last year. Really down year this year, yeah. But, you know, I looked it up. He 10 of the last 12 years, they've won at least 21 games. Not that far removed from the Elite Eight. And, of course, Brian Kelly coming off yet another undefeated regular season. And this it was tough to, to come up with number five. There were three schools I probably considered. And ultimately went out with Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley and Lon Kruger, uh, who went to the 2016 Final Four. So, anybody, anything stand out either way there? You know, I know there's one name you had almost on your list, probably hovering around the Jim Harbaugh category, and that was Mark Stoops, and you got John Calipari on the other side. Yeah. I think that's a, a pretty uh, strong combination. Mark Stoops is the one who, if I had to do it over again, I mean, he had such a great year last year, it's hard not to include him, but it was one year. So, he's fringe top 25 to me. So I guess I guess you're saying if you're going to have Harbaugh and uh, Beeline that high, then you should have Calipari and Stoops. That was not my thought. Again, I, I'm going to defer to you on that. The other one that's interesting, and I, I don't know if I – it's harder for me to argue on this because I'm just not as versed – not as strong in college basketball as I used to and certainly not as strong as some of our friends who sit in press boxes. But, you know, Purdue has a really strong combination there. Well, Matt Painter's a really, really good coach, and obviously we both think a lot of Jeff Brom. So. Yep, they, uh, the rest of my top ten was Duke with Coach K and David Cutcliffe. Uh, number seven may be outdated by the time you listen to this, and that is TCU with Gary Patterson and Jamie Dixon, who, as of this recording, is in all indications are maybe closing a deal with UCLA. Uh, Purdue, Syracuse with Jim Beheim and Dino Babers, and Kentucky. It's too early to, too early to put... Mike Hopkins. I know he just got a new deal. Yeah, yeah. I got a couple got a couple nominations for that. Got a couple people wanting uh, Virginia uh, with Tony Bennett and Bronco Mendenhall. And I think maybe Florida with Mullen and Mike White. That would not crack the list for me yet. So anyway, exciting time that you're walking into there at Lincoln and certainly where I just was at College Station. One quick news item I wanted to hit with you before we get to the mailbag. Here's one example where being on Twitter at the right time was kind of entertaining or interesting when news broke Tuesday morning that the American Alliance of Football was shutting down immediately, having not quite made it all the way to the end of the season. Shut down seven weeks in. I'm not taking any glee in that. Some people were. I'm not sure why. This is a bunch of players and coaches who are out of work now, basically because of this Carolina Hurricanes owner who came in and was supposedly going to be a save the day and with an influx of cash and then just abruptly pulled the plug. But it's kind of like 
Do you see the Will Ferrell movie Semi Pro? I did, yeah. Yeah, where he was fighting. To keep a disappointing the, movie. Yes. A disappointing movie where he's fighting to keep the ABA alive. It reminds me a little bit of that, where they were just kind of. It seems like, by all indications, they were running out of money almost from the time they started it and kind of flying by the seat of their pants a little bit. But I mean, I know you watched quite a bit. Some people immediately jump to, you know, oh, it's because the product on the field was so crappy. I don't think that. I don't think it was that. And frankly, I think they were probably pretty pleased with the fan interest they had. Yeah, you know, it's I was a fan of it. My son and I watched quite a bit of it. The couple of challenges with it, you never knew exactly. This kind of strays into here comes True TV and this time of year, what channel is it on and, you know, whatever for uh, those games because it was on a bunch of different networks and platforms. So you never really knew exactly when it was going to be on or should I go to CBS Sports Network? Should I go to... Should I go to TBS or TNT? Is it going to be on NFL Network? So there was that. You know, it bounced around a little bit. I did remember when I when I saw this news, and I saw it later than than other people did, just because I was offline for a while on Tuesday. But I thought back to the first night it premiered, and I, like a bunch of other people, were tweeting about watching it, and everyone was like, "Oh, the, it killed the NBA in ratings," and it, it like they use it as an indictment of the NBA. And it's just like kind of this is kind of Twitter in a vacuum or in a nutshell where you're looking at it and going, all right, everyone talked about how great it was. But it was like going to like the restaurant that everybody goes to the one night and and they don't go to the restaurant anymore. And you can say it was on a big channel or whatever. But just, you know, these are habits that people have to want to commit to. And I think, you know, look, there's going to be another league, the XFL behind with Oliver Luck that's running it. And it's got bigger name coaches. I shouldn't say bigger name because Steve's. Steve Spurrier's in it, whereas Bob Stoops is also in it. But certainly, it probably helps the XFL. But I don't know. I, I don't. I don't take any glee in seeing. You know, I know some people that worked in the league, so I definitely don't. I'm not happy about. You know, I feel for them. But I thought it was good to see more football is never a bad thing, and so I'm sorry to see it go away. Yeah, I heard from from other people who said they think this is actually a good sign for the XFL. There was at least some indication that there is interest in a spring football league. I don't think anybody is under any delusion that any of these, you know, new leagues would get the numbers of even like a, a bad, you name it, you know, lower level FBS college game. I mean, they're not even going to get the ratings of uh, one of those early bowl games, but they can still get decent, decent ratings for off season. The except for the big difference is, I guess I did not realize I had not read one word about the AAF's business model before yesterday. They just didn't have a lot of money. You know, they, Charlie Ebersol, who started this, mm-hmm. You know, I looked it up. They raised $17 million in investments before they launched that thing. That is not, I don't know why you would think you could, you need a lot of money to start a, a, a football league with hundreds of players and personnel and whatnot from scratch. So in traveling all over the country and training, the XFL, on the other hand, is funded by a ginormous organization and a billionaire in Vince McMahon and will probably have a lot more runway to get that thing off the ground. Will it also be successful? I don't know. But it's not like they're going to be the semi-pro analogy. They're not going to be like scrapping for for you know laundry money uh, six weeks into the season. Yeah, no, I think you're right. So we shall see. You want to get to the mailbag? Let's get to the mailbag. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. From first up, David Klein. Hi, Bruce and Stewart. In your opinion, which coaching hires of the past 20 years or so should have been successful, but turned out to be significant disappointments. And by that, I don't mean someone like Bo Pelini at Nebraska or Les Miles at LSU. Nobody's calling Les Miles at LSU's tenure a 
significant disappointment, I wouldn't think. I'm thinking like Dan Hawkins at Colorado, maybe Lane Kiffin at USC, Will Muschamp at Florida. A coach who was highly respected, had a good record at his previous job, knew the landscape of the school, conference region, but just didn't cut it. I'll give you a second to think about that. I have an answer right off the top. Well, I'm a little confused by the inclusion of like it's a different mix of people there where I don't the Will Muschamp one kind of throws me because it was like he's at a big you know, he I think he was started on a at a big job right away. Whereas Lane Kiffin, I almost think the Lane Kiffin example works at Tennessee because he was only there one year. It was, a, you know, it was a very tumultuous sure. year. And then he left. And I think probably of those ones he mentioned, the one he's he that that he's trying to get at is Dan Hawkins, who had great success at Boise State and was associated with that part of the country and just was a flamed out completely at Colorado. And so my example would be Rich Rod at Michigan. At that time, maybe people don't remember or aren't old enough to remember, you know, he was one of the hottest coaches in the country. He could have been, Nick Saban may never have come to be if Rich Rod had accepted the offer at Alabama that he turned down and then opened the door for Saban. So he was a hot coach who'd had tremendous success at West Virginia, who was known for this very innovative offense. And then he goes to Michigan and it's just a complete, you know, complete misfit for many reasons, right from day one, three and nine the first year, and was never able to dig out of that. And it was like, wait a minute. You know, I always assumed that if he left West Virginia for a more uh, like higher profile job, that he would be very successful. And if anything, it was a complete disaster. So I have two thoughts, and I'm not again. I, I hope I'm trying to answer this in the in the right spirit of things. The first thought that came to mind was Charlie Strong. Mm-hmm. That's where a good one. he took he took over from Mac Brown. He did some really good things, but it felt like he was always fighting an uphill battle there, right? Like when he got the job, and again, some of this is a little bit. Mostly the memory is a little off, but I remember thinking the biggest challenge for Charlie Strong, and this is probably a you know a, a stupid thought to have, but it was like. When he was at Louisville, he wasn't getting much attention. He hadn't dealt with the media or whatever. And all of a sudden, he's got following Mac Brown. And how is he going to handle being in that Texas fishbowl? And I don't think that was a problem for him at all, I don't think, in the end. I just think that it felt like he did some good things. It just, I don't know if he ran out of time or if it was like one of those things where I was around them a lot the last season and the last, his really last month. My crew did three of his last four games. And it just felt like it was almost like they tried, like, they couldn't get out of their own way. Like they were trying too hard, you know? And, you know, I go back to something Leach will say every once in a while. It was almost like, you know, he's used it where it's like, you're trying too hard. You're just not letting it happen kind of thing. And I felt like there was some of that with Charlie strong. The other one, the other name that comes to mind for a different reason. And I'm almost curious how it would have been, would have been Bill O'Brien at Penn state. It was an interesting couple of years I think because they were coming out of, you know, he was, you know, kind of a ray of a lot of darkness around that program for all the Sandusky stuff. And he won over a lot of people around Penn State, you know, and especially like the, you know, the Matt Millens and the older Penn State people and, you know, older Penn State players. And and then he left to go to the NFL. And then, look, James Franklin's done a you know terrific job there since. But I, I would have been curious what it would have been if he had stayed there. I'm not saying he would have done any better than James Franklin. I'm not, I don't think he would have because James Franklin's done really well. But I would have been curious to see what if he had stayed in college football. Yeah, I remember being very surprised at the hire. I, I don't even think I knew, frankly knew who Bill O'Brien was when Penn State hired him, which is rare, you know, that, that a major program would hire somebody that you're just – I think the only other one I can think of like that was when Florida hired Ron Zook. None of us knew who Ron Zook was. And yeah, he he won over people pretty quickly. He was off to a good start there. 
Matt McGloin hadn't done anything until <laughs> that last year, and then Bill O'Brien got him playing at a pretty high level. I just think, I don't think he fully understood the depths of what he was walking into. He didn't even know when he took the job they were going to have a, um, what was at the time, a four-year bowl man. And then just, I mean, it was just so raw still. All the all the hurt feelings there about Joe Paterno and the handling of his firing. And uh, I can't say I blamed him for getting out when he did. But it's not like he, I wouldn't put him in the same category as Rich Rod or uh, Charlie Strong. You know, he had two pretty decent years there given the circumstance. Yeah. Bart in Madison, love the podcast and the athletic. Thanks for hiring Jesse Temple. Of course, we are thrilled that Jesse Temple is our Badgers writer. Following up on your over under win totals conversation, what makes you confident in Wisconsin bouncing back and hitting the over of 8.5? They lost three year starting QB Alex Hornerbrook as a transfer. Some people will say this is good for the Badgers and have to play Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State from the Big Ten East. Stu, you want to take that? Because I didn't feel overly confident on that. I'm not saying it's like a, a surefire lock uh, that they would hit the over, but I don't know how to handle that Hornybrook one because I don't like bashing kids who are still in college, and he's going to, you know, he could be the starting quarterback of Florida State next year, but I, I don't think it's any secret to say he struggled pretty badly last year so are you waiting for a year until his career is over because he could turn out very good at Florida State or you just think it's bad for him to bash them when they're in college I don't know what do you think I don't sometimes it's the quarterback is the one where it's the hardest to avoid I just don't think you should criticize college players in the way we criticize professional players yeah I'm I'm with you on that I'm giving you a little hard time like it got to the point when I shouldn't even say who it was but I was at a game, Pat Forty was next to me, and this one quarterback played so bad against, and it was I a actually, good opponent. I think I know you too well. I know exactly who you're talking about. And it got to the point where at one point it's almost like he played so bad for a second in your head, like, is he shaving points? You know, kind of <laughs> that bad. And so I asked Forty, I said, who's the worst, co- like, what was the worst performance by a good player you can remember? And, you know, how did you write about it? Because I didn't want to, like, trash that particular player. And I remember him talking about Tony Delk, who was a good shooting guard at Kentucky, who I want to say might have like done a John Starks where he was like 0 for 16 or whatever he was. I, you know, I don't know. He try not to you try to tread lightly. And what I what I think is a worse example of this or maybe a more pertinent example is when we're talking about a Heisman candidate and you nominate somebody number three. And I make the case of why he shouldn't be number three. And all of a sudden I'm crapping all over a good player because I'm trying to justify my number three. And I, I, I don't like when we end up having to do that. It's like, but you, you're making your case and it comes at the expense of somebody else. Like, I don't think it would be possible for Wisconsin. I think it's pretty likely that Wisconsin will see an upgrade at the quarterback position this season, whether it's their hotshot freshman or somebody else. I think last year their defense was very inexperienced and didn't play at the level that we've come to expect from Wisconsin defenses. I assume they'll be a little bit better. And uh, it's not ideal to have those three crossover opponents from the East, but, you know, Ohio State's got a new coach. Michigan State wasn't that great last year. I don't think it's unreasonable to think that they would win at least one of those. And then, you know, in the division they play in, you should be able to win most or all of the games in your division. Okay, that's pretty strong. Okay, uh, the next question from Peter actually talked about something I noticed last week at, a, at one of the practices I was at. Stu and Bruce loved the podcast and hoped you could clear something up for me. I see most every team uses additional soft padding on the outside of their helmets during practices. Is there any consideration for helmets moving in that direction in general? It seems like a good way to maintain the protection and lessen the use of the helmet as a weapon, and clearly there's some safety benefit to using them in practice. 
the so those are the uh, the guardian helmets. We're seeing them more. You'd see them if you watch a lot of seven on seven and high school football. You know, I remember this. Like, there was a Bills safety a long time ago in the eighties named Mark Kelso, and he used to. Have, they I think they would call it like the Gazoo helmet. You remember Gazoo? Yeah. Okay, good. I just didn't want to take myself <laughs> even more than I think I am. But anyway, it was like it was like an extra shell on the helmet. And I don't know how many other players wore that over that time. But, you know, again, I, I don't know if this was something that would go too far to it or not. But I think right now we're, we're at this stage where I think people are open to a lot of different things, you know, a lot of different ideas. So I wouldn't rule anything out like that. And we have to do something. You know, the, the, this, this, the issue of concussions and head injuries... It's not going to solve itself. And so companies and schools are trying various different things. And so, like, I don't, I certainly think, you know, I don't, I'm not an expert on the technology in terms of where that's at, whether it's ready to be used in games. I, if it's being used in practices, I don't know why it couldn't. But let's definitely not say, well, that would look funny. Uh, who cares? If you want to protect football, if you want there to be football in 50 years, you know, we got to try something different. And if it means, uh, padding on the outside of the helmets reduces injuries, then go for it. I just don't know. You know, I, I've not heard one word about any sort of movement towards using those in games. I think it's still relatively new in general. So it'll be interesting to see um, where that's headed over the next couple of years. Mike from Blowing Rock, North Carolina, he has asked us questions before. I know he is an App State fan, and he asks, which program will suffer the bigger drop-off due to their coaching change, App State or Troy? Man, I, I don't know on that. I just, I mean, I know a little, I know Chip Lindsay a little bit, and I've heard good things about Eli Drinkwitz, but, you know, we, you and I both agree that both of the guys are replacing were, were terrific coaches and about yeah. as good as there were. So I don't know anything about either team's personnel, but, um, well, that's not true. App State's quarterback was, a, I think, a sophomore last year, right? And he was really good. Yeah, I, I just don't know enough about what they have coming back. I think that in general, right, we're not going to claim to be experts on these two teams' rosters, but in general, App State has been successful for a long time. Granted, they're at a, you know, he was the, um, the coach who took them up to the next level. But that the infrastructure has been in place, and they've been a very good program for a long time. Whereas I don't know that it's a guarantee that Troy, after Neil Brown, is going to continue to be a team that wins 10 games and beats uh, LSU and Nebraska. Yeah, that's a cop-out answer, but that's the best we can do. It is. Right a, it's a, <laughs> thank you. That's a, that's a good way to put it. Let's end with a USC question, shall we? Okay. Not a week goes by that USC is not in the news for something. This week it was Lynn Swan signing autographs um, 3,000 miles away from the re- smoldering ruins of the USC athletic department. But that's not what the so, question's about. Well, let me ask you a question on that yeah. first, though. So what exactly, like, I saw he put a letter out to ex- to kind of explain it, but then I read the letter, it didn't feel like it really explained much. Like, I was expecting, like, I don't know, when I saw that, I was expecting to say, well, this, the autographs went to fund, no. you know, some kind of, some <laughs> kind of good cause. Nope, nope, nope. I mean, look, is it a crime for Lynn Swan, former NFL star receiver, to go to an autograph signing? No. Is the athletic department going to stop operating, or, you know, run out of money next week because he wasn't there for two days? No. Nobody is, com- is in saying that this was a, you know, a, a total uh, audacity of him to do this. It's just purely optics. Your, your athletic department's in crisis. They're holding this retreat for senior leadership. 
and he's off signing autographs with, among other celebrities, a guy who played Freddy Krueger in one of those movies. It's just, a, it's just, you know, you don't expect that of your, one of the most visible leaders of your, well, the most visible leader of your athletic department, and certainly, you know, one of the most at the university. And no, he just said, well, I contractually uh, agreed to it three months ago, and I didn't want to break the contract. Yeah. Simon asks us, everyone seems excited at SC for how Graham Harrell has started off. But with Clay Helton on the hottest of hot seats, is there any way that an AD could hire a new coach but insist that an OC stay in place? Or is that an unreasonable request for the new coach? I could see a powerful combo in a year's time with Greg Schiano and Graham Harrell on each side of the ball. So a new head coach, but keeping Graham Harrell as the OC and hiring Greg Schiano, who recently left his job as the DC with the Patriots. And I have no idea if he'll want to be a college defensive coordinator next year. I can think of examples of coaches who stayed on through coaching changes. Certainly Bud Foster did. You know, Hugh Freeze got the head coaching job as the OC after his coach got got uh, nudged out at Arkansas State. Yeah, I mean, I think if Graham Harrell has that much success as an OC this year, then and they fire still fire Clay Helton, I would think there'd be a lot of clamoring to just promote him. Here's the challenge with that, though: there are the air raid to some degree is is polarizing, and I'm not necessarily sure that depending on who they bring in that they're going to want to run that offense or run a version of that offense. So I don't know. I, I think here's the, here's the, the challenge with them. If USC, especially, you know, if they do make a coaching change, I think they're going to want somebody who's going to come in and say, look, I'm dictating what goes on. You're not doing this because to some degree when they hired Clay Helton, you know, they wanted to kind of, like USC makes these things and they always take like half a step forward, you know, whether it, they hire a USC guy and Clay Helton was on, was the previous, you know, was on the previous two staffs. Yeah. Correct so me if I'm wrong, but USC didn't guy. Clay Helton himself do this? Didn't he retain some of the staff from when he was the interim coach? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, some of those guys, and I'm not saying there aren't good coaches, but Clancy Pendergast had been there. Johnny Nansen had been there. John Baxter had been there. Those are guys who were, you know, were holdovers. Now, again, I'm not saying that's the reason why they haven't done well or not. But, you know, I think, again, if you're a USC, you are going to, I think, if you're going to make, you know, a big change. I'm not saying you can't keep Graham Harrell if that's the case. But I think you. Can, I think it's hard to, to dictate and say, hey, you're going to do this and you're going to keep this guy. I mean, I do feel like there was a couple of situations where, you know, a head coach has moved on and they, the, the AD wanted to keep a coordinator because he liked that coordinator so much. So, you know, and that, that maybe makes it more enticing. But again, I think if you're USC in this particular case, if you're going to make a change, you got to give that head coach the flexibility to do it his way. I can already see where this is going to be a week, season-long, week-to-week topic. Is, is Clay Helton, I mean, is he, is he going to do enough to save his job? And then who's the next coach going to be? And, of course, the whole, you know, the shadow of that whole thing. Well, Urban Meyer's sitting there. Urban Meyer's in L.A. every week doing stuff for Fox. Um, you know, just fast-forward to Thanksgiving weekend when we are not talking about whether they're hiring Urban Meyer as the next coach. You're already clearing out the Fox decks, huh? <laughs> well, they have had some bad luck with that recently, but, you know, when you hire somebody like that, you do it knowing 
there's a possibility he's he's going to want to go back. Hey, can uh, I do a quick shout out here? Yes. Uh, on Saturday, I went to a benefit in honor of Jake Olson, the USC long snapper, the blind USC long snapper, who has raised a ton of money for retinoblastoma. It's a very cool event, and he's an, he's got an awesome story. And to hear him speak about it and explain the cause is something I think everybody should get behind. It was very cool to meet his family as well, and they got a they got a lot to be proud of. Yeah, I, I think, mean, just really, really awesome dude. Jake Olson's one of the great stories to come through college football in recent years, and I think it's tremendous that. I mean, I can remember watching the game day feature on him 10 years ago when Pete Carroll was still the coach and he was a teenager. So to see him go through his career and actually get to live his dream and now obviously helping to raise a lot of money for a great cause, just awesome. Yeah. By the way, uh, Shelly Smith was actually there, the person who, did, who brought that story to TV. So it was, uh, it was cool all, all the way around. All right. Well... Have fun in Nebraska, and everybody else will see you next week. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to The Audible on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star review while you're at it. It helps get the word out. Thanks to Trader Joe's for being our presenting sponsor. Our producer is Nick Fink. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. You can download their music on iTunes and Spotify. Follow me, Stu, at... SL Mandel on Twitter and Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB and subscribe to The Athletic if you haven't done so already you can try it for free 7 day free trial at theathletic.com slash free trial so